Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain of Anguess. Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 79. You're with myself, Paul Spain. Nate Dunn. And Zara Baxter. Great to have you guys in the studio tonight. Welcome along, Zara. This is your first time on the uh, on the podcast. Hopefully I won't embarrass myself. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Now, um, tell us a little bit about yourself for, uh, for listeners that uh, aren't familiar. You're the editor of PC World here in New Zealand. That's right. And what do you mostly focus on? What's your, what are your main areas of interest um, in, we, in tech? We do a vast amount of consumer tech, and I review pretty much everything from smartphones through to laptops, routers, you name it. There's nothing I won't test. Good. Cool. What's uh, the readership of PC World? Is it uh, people that are like, so you're, you're a true hardcore geek or your mums and dads that don't really know much about um, technology? Or we, We've got a mix. There's a lot of um, sort of 14 to 18 year olds who are really into their smartphones and we've got a lot of older folks who want to get more out of their computer and a bunch of enthusiasts somewhere in between. Cool. Good, good. Well, probably similar sort of um, sort of audience. That's good. Now um, it's been it's been two weeks since our last uh, confessional. I mean, our last episode, <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, I've I've been away. So our last uh, episode was uh, was from Toronto, uh, where we covered off uh, Microsoft's worldwide partner conference. There, uh, that was a session we had uh, Mary Jo Foley as our guest. Uh, last week, I was on the Tech News Today podcast coming out of the US. So uh, hence why there was no uh, NZ Tech podcast. Uh, but back into it now, and uh, certainly been a few bits of uh, local news happening, maybe not as much as um, we've had some weeks, uh, and uh, some some new products coming through. So first up, I wanted to have a little bit of a, a chat around uh, this big merger that's coming up, Vodafone and Telstra Clear. I want to know why, you know, when normally when a merger happens, you have companies that that vow for each other and then it sort of gets signed and then it gets released out in the public. I, I, one thing I'm not f- really following is why is this being discussed in the open um, market? Why did Vodafone not make a bid? And then we find out after it's all sort of been signed, sealed and delivered. So w- w- what do you guys think? Well, there were things that there were things that leaked and these sort of things do. It's a pretty big deal. And that leaked sort of early on and then it got to the point where uh, Telstra Clear had to make a public announcement about it because there was so much, uh, I guess, chit-chat going on. Uh, And then we got the official announcement that said, hey, the deal has been done, this is going to happen, Uh, subject to, you know, Commerce Commission and government regulatory uh, sign-off. When there's a small marketplace, my my feeling is that most of these things, there's generally um, an announcement and then all the regulatory stuff happens, but... I almost feel like the announcement is kind of a way to make sure everyone's prepared for it happening so that the regulatory stuff goes a bit smoother. Yeah. Is this going to be a good thing for Vodafone? I think from uh, for Vodafone's perspective, this is this is good. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. The qu- the I think the, the question that many in the market have is this really good, is it good for New Zealand? Hmm. What's going to be the impact of going from, you know, three large-ish players to two? And, yeah, is this going to have a negative impact on, for instance, um, you know, how, how competitive the playing field will be around um, ultra-fast broadband as it moves into the market? Because you have that number two player that, of course, have a lot of their own uh, uh, connections directly into homes in Christchurch, Wellington and, and Kapiti Coast with their existing um, 
um, what's their network? HFC, is that what it's called? Hybrid fiber. Uh, so they're, they're, but their existing cable network that, that goes from cable back into fiber and today can deliver 100 megabit speeds, which are what we're seeing offered by the ultra-fast broadband network. So, um, yeah, that, that's probably you know, a little bit of wondering what will be the impact of that. Will they, uh, will they be a little bit less cautious about how they roll out uh, ultra-fast broadband? Um, in many ways, I would say no, because they just th they'll want to compete with all of the other players. If if UFBs or ultra-fast broadband is what people want, um, then you know they they'll want to stay in that uh, market. I imagine. I've never found, and anyone who reads my blog will know that I'm not a massive Telstra Clear fan. But especially, I think the two examples I can remember is when we went through maybe three and four months ago, when all the ISPs um, up their caps, you had. Um, Vodafone sort of led the charge, and even incumbent Telecom um, was looking at doubling the caps. But Telstra Clear was really slow um, in the ADSL market to look at, um, at changing any of their caps. And then the second one I remember was when the um, Galaxy S3 launched. Uh, they set that Telstra Clear had these big advertisements launching at the S2, which I still don't understand why they were having launching the S2 when the S3 had just been announced. It, uh, in my mind, Telstra, Telstra Clear sort of uh, always trailing behind. Um, so I, I don't know whether to, it is going to be a good thing for Vodafone, but again, I'm heavily biased because I just think they're always the last one off the rank. So I, I guess I, I'm I kind of a blow-in from Australia, but why, why is Vodafone buying Telstra Clear anyway? I mean, what does is, what is Telstra Clear actually offer them that is worth grabbing? Well, Telstra Clear has some interesting things. They've got <coughs> a, uh, a bigger base of uh, landline and, and fixed internet um, users than what Vodafone has here. So it really moves them from being, you know, both being you know, considerably smaller than telecom to being, you know, fairly major competitor. Uh, the other thing, and, and this is an area where we've seen, I guess, uh, Telstra Clear being at the forefront is in the business space and some of the markets where they've offered, uh, for instance, we've, we've got a VDSL <coughs> connection here in the building that we've had for, well, it's been available for years. And... Uh, you know, you cannot buy that type of connection yet from telecom or from uh, Vodafone. And uh, that's actually running on uh, Telstra Clear's own copper that runs into the building. So, yeah, they've had their own network, um, certainly in the, in the CBD type areas for some time. Uh, which has actually been really useful having a competitive offering. So mm. I suppose to get looking back at the history, and I, I can't remember exactly when it happened, but Vodafone to get into ADSL purchased um, iHug, which was started by yep. the, the Wood Brothers many, many years ago. So instead of trying to compete, they cheated and went and took out iHug and incorporated into um, Vodafone Broadband. So maybe the, it's all the fixed lines they're going after. I'm not really too sure, but I, I know. I guess if you want to be in UFB, it's the way to go. Yeah take over someone that's already got a well-established base and and I think you know um, Vodafone realizes that you know customers would prefer to be with one supplier that can supply a whole raft of services than with lots of smaller suppliers so if they can this is one of their uh, competes really against the likes of two degrees by having you know good broad offerings uh, you know across a range of services people can come to Vodafone get the whole package rather than going off to one little ISP and off to another mobile provider and someone else, someone else. 
Did you get the nice thing with having one provider that you've got one bill and also looking at bundling services together? So if you get you know your landline and your mobile together, potentially there's offerings for plans and ADSL and, and everything, so incorporating it all together. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. I'm still a bit dumbfounded as to why they're looking at taking out Telstra Clear. All right. Well, we'll watch <laughs> this space. Now, the numbers were pretty big, weren't they? It was uh, 840. 840 million. 840 million New Zealand dollars, wasn't it, for that buyout? So it's a uh, bit of coin. It's, 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 it's a, a huge acquisition, really, on a, on a New Zealand scale. It's unusual for us to see uh, you know, any sort of purchases at this level. So it is really big news. Mm. All right, we'll keep watching this one. And, and as we get a little bit more information, we'll, uh, we'll certainly be updating that on the podcast. Uh, now, Zara, last week you were, <coughs> in, uh, you were in San Francisco. As was I, <laughs> uh, but you went to a um, a very special invite-only event. It was a, a secret Microsoft event, at least it was initially, but uh, turned out to be the Office 15, Office 2013. Uh, they don't seem to be entirely clear on the name they're giving it. The next office was what Steve Ballmer ended up calling it okay. most of the time, but um, I've been calling it Office 15. I think you've been calling it Office 2013. The new version of Office is, is being launched, and... Um, and they put on quite a show, right? You know, I mean, they that was um, was at the Metreon uh, Center there in, uh, in in San Francisco, just across the road from where uh, where Apple do their uh, uh, their events. I think it was a pretty small gathering, actually. There were probably only about 100, 120 people there, all up. Right. Um, so we got walked through each of the new products, some of the key features in each. Um, no, no details on pricing dates, that kind of stuff at all, but a very clear line that it was tied in with Windows 8, that Windows 8 and Office go together like horse and carriage, yeah. that kind <laughs> of stuff, you know, they, get, they go together pretty well. And um, it, even so, I was surprised to see that Windows 8, you know, is kind of founded on that whole Metro tile interface, and the new Office doesn't really use that very much. It, it's basically an upgrade of the older version of Office with a few new tweaks. So Word, for example, still looks like the older version, but if you run it on a tablet, some of the icons get a bit spaced further apart. Outlook has a, a few more tweaks, so you know you can kind of layer things in different ways, make things look lighter, less dense on the page. But yeah, there's a there's a reader mode as well for Word, which is kind of cool. So you can read PDFs in it as well as Word docs and so on, and it presents quite nicely, right? Yeah, it does present nicely and re reflows the text around images and the like if you're looking at it on a smaller gadget, which is kind of cool. But, yeah, I had expected more from it, I guess. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, the, the sort of the two, uh, two take-homes for me was that uh, Microsoft are, are really focusing a lot more heavily on, on cloud integration this time around. And so when you when you sign into the new office, you can sign in with a live ID or uh, or with a you know, corporate ID or an Office 365 ID, and that will tie you back into you know your business uh, SharePoint server, or if it's a live ID, uh, you know back to you that Microsoft Cloud storage, uh, and that and it will come with SkyDrive storage with every you know Microsoft account that you set up that you log in with. Yeah, and that seems it just it seems quite nicely integrated. The other thing uh, around that that cloud, um, you know, the way they're tying into the cloud is that with the 
with the license, you'll get access to install on up to five machines, which is the sort of thing that we've come across before with app stores and so on, as being able to install on multiple machines. Um, but you'll also be able to log into a machine that isn't yours. So you go over, maybe you're traveling and you've got access to a machine to use somewhere. Uh, maybe you're working in, in another, somebody else's office or in a friend's computer. Um, and you can actually stream a copy of Office down to your machine on the fly with Office 2013. And with Office 365 as well, which comes as part of it, you'll be able to log in from any web browser to be able to work in those apps as well. Yeah, so you've got the sort of, I guess, the the three, uh, yeah, those three client options uh, from from a, a PC or tablet in terms of the, you know, web interface, fully installed apps, uh, or the app that will just sort of stream down to you on the fly. Yeah, and Steve Bormore is calling that um, Office as a service. So instead of just, you know, installing an app, you have it as your login, basically, and that gives you access from wherever. Mm. So the world is sort of starting to change in terms of how that looks. And I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm certainly a proponent of running, you know, full-blown apps compared to web ones when you're wanting to do anything complex with formatting and just doing things quickly. It seems to work work better in my experience. I don't know. What are your preferences, Nate? Because you use uh, Google Apps a fair bit, right? Yeah, I have to admit, the first time when we swapped over to Google Apps and I was using, um, and this is how long ago, Thunderbird, um, I didn't think I'd be very happy using that interface. But now that I've got the short keys down and all that sort of stuff, I actually prefer to use the web interface and that's really nice and fast. However, um, I still don't use, you know, we've got Google Docs. Um, we still use Microsoft Word heavily because it's nice, but it's not fully there yet. And there's mm. lots of little features, especially with formatting that aren't quite there. Give it a little bit of time and I think it'll get there, but uh, it's nice to say, oh, I'm working in the cloud, but when you're in a rush and you want to do stuff and it's frustrating when it doesn't work, mm. it's mm. easier just to use desktop software. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the other way. I prefer to use Google Docs mainly because I don't care so much about formatting. What I need is for my text to be available anywhere, and what Google Docs does is hold all your versions in one spot, so yes. you can check previous versions really readily. Great for collaborating, that kind of thing as well. But th I guess as well, I want it to be accessible on every device I'm on. And what Microsoft's done with, with Office 2013 on the tablet is try to incorporate all the features, which is great, but it means really you're gonna need a stylus to use it. And that means you need a Windows 8 tablet or a Windows 8 laptop. You know, If you've got touchscreen, you're gonna need a stylus which you don't if you've got something a bit simpler like a Google Docs or, you know, Zoho, something like that. Well, Google Docs isn't really tuned for a touch device either. No, that's, really? that's true. Not Certainly, I would think, less so than Office 2013. But have you had a play with Office 2013 on a, on a touch device to any yeah, great extent? Yeah, I have. Extent? And yep. uh, hitting the right icons with a screen that isn't ultra-responsive and ultra-fine-tuned is tricky i resorted to the stylus before yeah. very long okay okay good oh it's good to get good to get some feedback on that and i think that's something that um that our listeners are interested in is just where is all this going and what's going to work and yeah i think we're we're pretty interested in getting our hands on for instance the microsoft surface devices and other devices to uh, yeah. uh to really be able to feedback a little bit more and 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 I guess some longer real world experience with using these things for sort of days and, and weeks on end will be interesting. One last thing is that um, OneNote, which I think is one of my favourite Microsoft Office apps and is woefully underused and underappreciated, 
uh, actually has a Metro version as opposed to just the desktop version. And you have to go to the Microsoft Store to get it if you're going to try the preview, but it's definitely worth trying to see what, what the future holds for Office. That's a good tip. That's definitely a good tip because you can actually get away with using that rather than using Word and so on for a lot of a lot of things, right? And the fact that it integrates nicely with where well, you can run it on your phone as well as uh, running it on your tablet and your laptop, it's uh, it's pretty handy. Taking those whiteboard snaps and other bits and pieces and incorporating them together. Cool. Uh, now, other uh, news that's sort of related to um, to San Francisco. Is a little uh, a little product that um, Google released very recently. You had a little bit of a play with the uh, the Nexus Seven that I picked up there um, outside of San Francisco, Zara. Not enough of a play with it yet, but uh, I want one of my very own. So you you had a bit of a run around the uh, the stores in San Francisco, and uh, you came came up. Uh, Without one, I, I tried Best Buy and I tried Staples and I called um, GameStop, which is where they said they might have supplies. But yeah, no dice. I'm I'm amazed you managed to find one. I'm very impressed. Yeah, I was quite pleased to find one. Um, so for those who who haven't had a look or heard the info yet, it's uh, it's a seven inch uh, Android tablet running Jelly Bean, which is the four point one uh, version of the Android operating system. I was really excited by that because it means it has Google Now on it, which is Google's answer to Siri, plus it has like these little cards that show stuff that's relevant to what you've been doing recently. So Paul's just been overseas, obviously, and his has got the weather for Auckland and exchange rate for US versus New Zealand currency. So it kind of updates with things that you're likely to need, which is fantastic, and I really want to play with it. It's quite cool. I've f- found that, uh, yeah, its voice recognition seemed to be quite good with the little bits and pieces I've tried on it so far. Uh, you didn't have quite so much luck, did you? Ivy Bridge did not work. It was hard bridge and Ivy Ridge. <laughs> um, now, for me, this is going to replace my uh, my Kindle Fire as my sort of small little, uh, you know, low-end uh, tablet. It's actually not that low-end, though. It's got a um, It's got 16 gigs worth of storage. Uh, Bluetooth, it's uh, NFC enabled, near field communication. So um, I've actually mostly set up um, um, the Google Wallet stuff on there, but I didn't get a chance to do that while I was in the US. So I wasn't able to do any shopping with my uh, tablet by tapping it on uh, on the the um, um, the surface at uh, at the stores. Um, but hey, I'll get a chance for that another time, no doubt. Could you get the you know, we a couple of podcasts ago we reviewed the um, Snapper app on. I can't remember the device now, but could you get that to work on that device? Or n- you need the SIM card as well, don't so you? So yeah, to do that you need to have a SIM card, and the um, the Google Nexus Seven is not three G enabled, so that's the um, that's the the flip side. So yeah, it's not it's not of a whole lot of use for uh, NFC type functions in New Zealand yet. Just yet, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's yeah, it's it's a fairly uh, fairly powerful device for the money. So that's coming in at uh, two four nine US plus tax, uh, which would work out at roughly three fifty New Zealand dollars if you were to do a mm. straight conversion and add in your uh, GST. Uh, we have seen that Bond and Bond and Noel Leeming are actually bringing these in. They're doing them for uh, for four three nine. And they have taken some pre-orders, which apparently have sold out. I don't think anyone's got any units yet. 
uh, and you can place pre-orders with them again if you're really keen uh, for stock that'll be in late August. So the interesting thing is, if you do pre-order now, you won't get a bunch of the Google Play, um, like eBooks and movies and similar, which are available in other countries. But uh, you will have it ready, future-proofing yourself for those kind of things. Yeah, in the US, they're also giving a $25 credit in the um, Google Play Store, which, which is now really starting to grow, particularly the US iteration of it. So with movies and books and lots of content, uh, music uh, that you can buy. So there are a couple of freebies that were, um, uh, that were on there when I got it. And uh, yeah, I had to jump through some hoops uh, because you've got to have a US credit card to get the $25 credit. Uh, but hey, there's always uh, there's always ways around that. So um, yeah, it's definitely a, f- a fun little device to play with. Um, quad core CPU, so pretty pretty snappy. It's, uh, the screen is really good for a tablet this price, and it's really mm. responsive. Mm. And you know, my only draw, my un- the only downside for me is that it's Android, which I'm not convinced about in tablet. But hey, I want one. I really want one. Well, the the app now. that stood out to me that I use a lot on my iPad uh, and has just recently been uh, become available Android is, is Flipboard, and I've quite enjoyed having a bit of a play with that on the smaller screen size. I'm still caught. I'm not totally convinced, but uh, at the price point, I think it's it's quite compelling. So yeah, at that price point, it's competitive with a Kindle here in New Zealand too. Mm, mm. Uh, now that leads us on. There's there's <coughs> been some rumours while I've been away around um, Apple coming out with a lower end iPad with a s- sort of a similar size screen to that. They're talking just under eight inches, seven point eight five uh, inches. What what do you both think about this? Does it make sense for Apple to come in with a lower end product? Are they going to sort of cannibalise the um, you know their market a little bit and sell less uh, you know of the original? Um, iPads, or is this a good way for them to sort of knock Google's offering on the head and uh, make sure they continue to own the tablet space? The only decent argument I've heard for Apple bringing in a 7-inch tablet is that it would be an upgraded and larger version of the iPod Touch. But otherwise, Apple never goes for cheap markets. They never, you know, compete with... I mean, the 7-inch tablet, other people are doing it, but Apple don't compete. You know, they, they develop their own thing. They'd do it if they had a, a solid use case for it. And if they had a solid use case for it, they would have bought it out already, I can't help but think. So I, I just still don't believe the rumours. What do you think, mate? I'm going to cheat and just say I ditto everything Zara said. Um, <laughs> you look at, <laughs> look at their history of everything. You know, they don't tend to go for low into the market. Look at all their, their MacBooks, everything. It's uh, highly unlikely, I reckon, if the history is anything. But uh, who knows? Could could surprise us all and... Next week we could be talking about this amazing sh- smaller tablet. I don't know. Well, they do have a they do have a much smaller one with a um, <coughs> a much smaller screen called the iPod Touch. Mm. It would just be an in between form factor, wouldn't it? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. All right. Well, let's let's wait and see on that one. Uh, now, uh, local news: McLean Computing. Sad news last week was that uh, they'd gone out of uh, gone into receivership owing uh, about three million dollars. Um, I think from a few people that I've been speaking to, um, and we're not really in this industry as it's um, more hardware and, and, and service based. Um, I think a lot of people in the industry knew that they weren't in um, 
they weren't in the best state and they were looking like they were in a bit of trouble. The thing I was interested about reading about is the Phoenix, I think it's clause from in the Companies Act, which is where you can shut down one company and then start another one up and buy all the assets from the liquidated company but don't take any of the debt over. Uh, however, your creditors have to agree to the conditions of it. it. It sounds like an amazing way to get out of all your debt and it doesn't sound like there's anything in, in it for your creditors. So um, they did it in about five days. They shut down McLean's Computing and started McLean's Technology and, and swapped over. It sounds like a massive rort, but uh, everything seems legal, so... And they did it, and yeah, th it's certainly been interesting. I've I've been watching. Uh, there've been a lot of discussions on computer world. We've been sort of covering it with various uh, various angles, and you know I've taken particular interest because I know uh, both both Chris and Alan McLean and and uh, running an IT services firm myself. Um, you know, it's it's an area that um, you know that I that I'm particularly interested in. And yeah, it, it just does seem really fascinating that you can, uh, you know, one business can go bust and yet it starts up again or it just keeps running under a slightly different uh, different name without the debts um, the next day, supposedly with the same phone number, websites, staff, uh, and other uh, other bits and pieces. So, so all in all, from the outset, it's McLean's and they're just trading, so you're... I suppose you need if you're not very familiar with how it works, you could you your trading name and your actual legal name can be completely different. Um, so yeah, the everyone's will still them know them know them as McLean's, but the just legal entities um, changed over. So I don't know, all a bit confusing for me to be honest. Yes, yes, um, yeah. I'm. I mean, you've 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 got to uh, feel for those who are who are owed all of that money who are by the looks of it unlikely to uh um to to see a whole lot although we, we don't know what what that actual buyout involved and you know how much you know um return that they will get if there was three million dollars owed uh you know how, yeah are they going to get three hundred thousand dollars back are they going to get you know 10 cents in the dollar or uh who knows but um there's yeah. a lot of well-known brands in that actual list like there's sort of a who's who of, of communications and technology so mm. it, it's not a um it wasn't just a few particular suppliers it was a lot of very well-known suppliers mm. well uh, you know one of the bits in uh in their in, in their history and uh you know i don't think we want to get into uh too much of it but um you know we had heard that they'd been uh uh, what's the word? They had a staff member who um, absconded right. with some <coughs> fairly large um, half a million, wasn't it? Amount of uh, amount of money. Uh, so, no doubt that was part of the picture, but uh, half a million doesn't quite add up to uh, three, million three million either. So it's the whole thing is rather sad, really. But um, the positive note is that they're uh, that they're back in, that they're back in action anyway, in uh, in some form, and uh, hopefully they will be uh, they'll be able to be. Um, you know, sound and and solid going forward. I wonder how many of their competitors thought that they would actually sort of throw in a towel call it a day and it would be a bit of a, a gold rush to pick up all their lucrative clients. Well, the question is how lucrative were their clients if they were losing money? Uh, mm. Were they actually profitable with their, with their clients? And will their clients stay with them? Or will the clients go elsewhere? You know, they may have to pay more to go elsewhere. Uh, because it doesn't sound as though they, they were uh, making huge amounts of profit, does it? 
I'm reading one of the lists of the creditors is the IRD, so I'm sure that however that Phoenix clause got initiated, the IRD would have been the first creditor that would have had to approve it because they don't tend to lie over, to roll over, especially when you've got any tax debt. Yeah, well I'm not sure anything's been approved. I think these things can just go ahead and then it comes down to whether people challenge it afterwards. Mm. So we'll wait and see and see if there's any challenges to that. True. Now, um, other local news, Orcon have a little special offer for those who are able, who are in the right position to get ultra-fast uh, broadband. Are either of you anywhere near ultra-fast broadband at the moment? No. No, considering Sorry. we don't I, I, I knew that. far I, away. <laughs> I just had to drop that in there because I, I'm that close to getting it. The, uh, the Chorus website now says that it's available for my address. But do you have it yet? No. no. Okay. I so you're the in the same boat? No, I am. I'm exactly the same boat. Well... Almost the same boat, but so I'm trying to sign up now for Orcon's special deal, which is free ultra-fast broadband for the rest of the year. So blatantly dropping Orcon, and you possibly, if anyone from Orcon's listening, maybe they'll give you a bit of a push and get you there? Well, I did give them a push last week with a tweet, and I also gave Vodafone a chance because uh, Vodafone are doing, uh, are doing some customer trials on uh, ultra-fast broadband as well, so... Um, so whoever whoever dangles fibre in front of you, you'll jump at. Well, the the <laughs> thing here is with um, with fibre, you should be able to have multiple providers, right? Because it's not it's not like a single Plug piece. But piece each of, one has um, their own installation and you know their own methods. So maybe if you sign up with one, the cost to switch over is going to be prohibitive, and maybe that's what Orcon is trying to bank on. You know, do do a bit of a land grab for the consumers who are. I'd like to think I can run both it. at once. I don't know how they'll feel about that. <laughs> Um, I could get called all sorts of names, but never mind. Um, Burning the fibre at both ends, eh? Yeah. <laughs> now, one piece of gear that we had a little bit of a play on uh, just before I went away is the, and this is something that we, uh, we, we sort of spoke about a month or so back, is this new um, fast Wi-Fi, which we're now hearing uh, some vendors are calling 5G Wi-Fi, gigabit Wi-Fi. So... Uh, Netgear have uh, have now released their R6300 router and if you join two of these together you can get uh, potentially gigabit speeds between the two routers and hopefully in the not too distant future we will be able to get um, that gigabit Wi-Fi speed on our PCs and laptops and, and gadgets. Yeah, it's important to note that if you're trying to get this new super fast wireless I mean, A, the standard isn't ratified yet, which, don't get me started but you're going to need a dongle for every appliance you try and run it on because there aren't any 802.11 AC laptops out there or desktops. So it's, it's that issue of if you don't have compatibility across the board, you're not going to get the high speeds. But the advantage of AC is dual band in everything, fast dual band. So you'll be able to stream video at the same, high, high def video at that, at the same time as you're doing your other transfers on separate network. What's the range like? Because I know, you know, when you're looking at 802.11b, if you had a 802.11g, sorry, you could drop it to b to get a lot better range. Do we know what the range is like on this new? Um, what thing? we know is as the performance goes up, usually the coverage goes okay. down, and that certainly seems to be the case from what we're hearing about um, 802.11ac. But yeah. But it does. What it does have is um, better control of interference from other networks so currently i mean if you guys are anything like me you've got like 15 different wi-fi you know networks in your neighborhood i thought you were going to say you had 15 different wi-fi <laughs> in your home i thought 
wow, you really do test stuff out. <laughs> I'm not going to comment about how many Wi-Fi enabled gadgets I have in my house, but I did ask, um, who was it I was chatting to? Uh, to, ah, oh, sorry, it will come to me. One of the providers, Linksys. I was talking to Cisco, Linksys, and asking them whether there was a limit on how many Wi-Fi gadgets you could attach to a network because I was worried I was reaching that limit. They said 128, you'll be fine. So I haven't reached that limit yet. But well done. Um, 802.11ac cuts down on that interference from other wireless networks. So that's one of its key strengths is that you won't have to deal with interference from all those people around you anymore. Well, it's got, uh, because it can run at the higher uh, higher range as well, right, which is out of the uh, interference from cordless phones and other mm. bits and pieces as well, which is very handy. So we'll we'll certainly be sharing more on that once we get a chance to, uh, to test further. But... Uh, as a route of the feedback I'm getting is that that R6300 is very, very fast from um, my guys that have not let their hands off it and let me have a, have a chance to play with it myself. Um, so, yeah, apparently it's very, very cool. Now, uh, our last sort of major topic really is just that we're now starting to... Uh, we're now starting to get hands-on with these new uh, laptops that are running the third-generation um, Intel CPU core CPUs uh, that have that um, they're named Ivy Bridge. Uh, Zara, what are, we've got? Um, what's the one we've got here? We've got the new Samsung Series Nine that arrived today. Uh, Which is very sleek, very slender. It very is, sexy. isn't it? It's very cool. One point was it one point one six kilos or something? It's it is. Um, it's it's very cool. No room to sort of plug in Ethernet and things like that because it's just so. Uh, it is so slim it and is light, much right? Thin, yes. Yeah. Um, what's your preference? You've had a look around at a, at a few. We've had the uh, the Lenovo ThinkPad, which is a totally different uh, beast here. This is the L series, which is their big fifteen-inch sort of. Um, uh, lower cost business one, but very very fast. Uh, what are the what are the Ivy Bridge laptops that are sort of standing out for you? Uh, we've had a look at the Dell XPS fourteen and the Samsung Series nine. I also had a look at a Sandy Bridge Acer M three, and my impression of the Ivy Bridge laptops is that they're finally delivering on the promise that Intel has given us all along that you'd be able to do great graphics with a lightweight laptop. So. What these bring in is DirectX 11, which eh, you may not be familiar with the term, but basically it allows most modern games to run on these laptops. They don't just run, they run pretty well. I could run Diablo 3 on you know, the, all the laptops that I've tried which have Ivy Bridge, it runs quite well. And that, that is a big step up. That uh, makes a big difference. So with Ivy Bridge, we're seeing um, the built-in graphics performance, a big jump from, uh, from the previous generation. Definitely. Uh, but w there are also some of them that have got uh, added on graphics capabilities as well, or the ones that you, you find that the built-in graphics is, uh, is good enough for, uh, for gaming. The built-in graphics is good enough for gaming with Ivy Bridge. With Sandy Bridge, the laptop that I saw recently, the Acer yep. Timeline M3, that has a built-in graphics card. Right. So that was the closest thing we could get to these Ivy Bridge laptops before that. They have pretty good battery life as well. Cool, cool. Um, that's great. Well, we'll keep keep talking through uh, a bit more about these devices as as we get a chance to spend uh, spend more time with them. Um, of course, uh, Zara and the team at PC World will be continuing to review those, so there'll be lots up on PC World about them. Um, and the last, what was the last topic? Um, 
Oh, the one, the one other device that I haven't mentioned um, on the podcast that I've had my hands on recently uh, has been Nokia's Lumia 900, uh, which sadly the um, our poor telcos here in New Zealand have decided not to launch. Uh, so I've managed to snaffle this one out of uh, out of Australia, and it's a really really nice handset. So I was travelling in the US with this one, was the HTC One uh, X and the Samsung um, Galaxy S3, and all really, really nice uh, phones to um, to actually travel with. Um, How long did it get you to get through airport security at any of these places? Uh, I've just had one bag which had probably half a dozen phones in it, and uh, I made sure those weren't in my pocket. Hopefully no um, alarm clocks. That's, that's the trick. I've um, done that dance before, and they usually put your bag through three times. Yeah, I did get one. One was asking about some uh, devices that was in uh, in one of my bags, which was the microphones, and he was like, yeah, are those microphones? Yes, okay, that's all right. You know, I don't know if he thought they were guns or something, but um, yeah, so having 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 all sorts of gadgets with you, yeah, can, uh, can slow the process down, but... Um, the main thing is not to have them all in your all in your pockets. So empty your pockets uh, before you before you have to go through all of the security checks, um, which are a nightmare in the US, I've got to say, and Canada. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but we got there in the end. Now um, now we did mention just before I went away about uh, Nokia having launched the Lumia 610 here in New Zealand, uh, and to celebrate that they've given us a 610 to give away. So if you are interested in winning the, uh, the Lumia 610, uh, jump onto nztechpodcast.com uh, and we'll give you the details on how to enter and um, score yourself a fancy new smartphone uh, for yourself or if you've got uh, somebody else in your family who you think needs something better than a non-smartphone um, or they've got a really old one, then uh, this might well suit. Okay, that's us for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Um, now, guys, where do we find you online, Nate? Um, you can either go to, well, Geekzone is where I do most of my blogging, so, um, so, or go directly through, through our company site, which is blog.3bit.com, or on Twitter, I'm just at Nate, N-A-T-E. And Zara? Uh, you'll find PC World at pcworld.co.nz, and we're on Twitter as nzpcworld, or I'm on Twitter as Zara Baxter. Excellent. Thank you, Zara. Uh, and, of course, you can find me on Twitter, just my name, at Paul Spain. Uh, also, paulspain.com and techjungle.com. And nztechpodcast.com is where you find the podcast. And we are on Facebook, of course, uh, NZ Tech Podcast there, and the same on Twitter. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. We will catch you right here next week. See ya.